and welcome to IOM3 Investigates, the podcast series of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining. We are one of the UK's major science and engineering institutions and our activities are focused on the promotion and development of all aspects of the materials cycle. These include the science, design, engineering and technology of materials, minerals and mining and their practical applications. We facilitate qualifications, professional recognition and development, share knowledge and provide networking services to a global membership and wider community. We hope you enjoy our podcast series. Well, welcome to this IOM3 Investigates podcast. Uh, my name is David Arthur, Head of Specialist Support at the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining, IOM3. Very pleased this morning to be joined by Bob Ruddlestone and Chris McDonald. And if possible, um, Bob, could you just give yourself a bit of an introduction, say who you are, brief background to, to what you've done and your role with the uh, the conference that's coming up, please. Yeah, uh, I'm Bob Ruddleston, and I'm currently employed at the uh, Materials Processing Institute as the uh, executive consultant. I spent uh, a long time in the steel industry, in fact, over 57 years in total, either associated with it or working for the steel industry. And I am currently also chair of the organising committee for the 2021 electric um, steelmaking conference. This is the second time the UK have hosted this conference and it's the second time I've been chair of the organising committee. And we have a very good conference. I'll now hand over to Chris. Thanks, Bob. Um, so like Bob, I work at the Materials Processing Institute. I'm the chief executive um, and I'm a member of Bob's organising committee as well on the, the electric arc furnace conference. Um, we've got a, a really um, strong organising committee with representatives from uh, people who operate electric arc furnaces and carry out research in the field as well um, throughout UK. Bob's brought together a really good team. Um, and I think we've been very surprised, haven't we, Bob, by the, uh, the strength of some of the papers that have come in um, for the conference as well on a real range of topics. Yeah, the strength of the papers is, is excellent. And not only that, we've had... Uh papers from a lot of different countries, in fact, 14 in total. Uh, it's almost global as well as being European. So I'm really pleased by that. The conference, uh, the conference venue is the Diamond Centre, Sheffield University. And the conference will take place on the 13th and 14th of September uh, 2021. In terms of the difficulties we've had in organising this conference, they've all been around COVID. So in fact, we started organising the conference in 2017 with an aim date of September 2020. As a result of COVID, that went out to 2021 September. Uh, and uh, we also had to take into account the fact that the travel restrictions uh, are changing all the time. And also the uh, ability for people to associate indoors has changed as well. So to mitigate against any further changes, we've decided to make this conference a hybrid conference, which means that you can either attend in person at the Diamond Centre in Sheffield, or you can attend by a virtual platform from your own living room, in fact. So we've tried to cover all our bases. Our, our sincere hope is that the majority of people will attend in Sheffield and make it a really good conference. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've, we've had, it has been really difficult organising the conference. You know, we've had some real challenges, as I know so many people have. 
Um, but our number one priority has been to make sure that we keep people safe. And we've got a fantastic venue um, in which we can do that at Sheffield. Uh, and actually, as an organising committee as well, we, we really wanted to keep that face to face element as well. So we do recognise it's great for people, particularly people outside the UK, to join virtually. Um, and it offers that flexibility. The hybrid model offers that flexibility. But also, you know, people are really quite keen to get back to some sort of face to face interaction to be able to network with one another, discover new research opportunities. And so, as Bob says, we'd really like to encourage people to attend in person as well at our great venue in Sheffield. Thank you both. Are there any particular speakers that you're extremely excited that you've been able to attract to to come and speak this time round? Well, one uh, on the opening day of the conference, we've got the Director General of World of the World Steel Association, which is who is Edward Basson, and I'm really pleased that we've got him because he can speak across the board about about steel in world context. So, I think that's very good. We've also got the Chief Executive Officer of Sheffield City Council to welcome the delegates to Sheffield. And that that really shows the interest from the uh, local politicians as well. So I think that they're two two of the outstanding ones. In terms of the programme, we've got lots of good speakers, so it's, it's difficult picking out who would be the best. But what I would say is we've added an additional session uh, on day two of the conference. Uh, which is developments uh, of, of the world steel, development of the global steel industry. And to that, we've got some leading industry experts uh, to talk about developments in Southeast Asia. We've got the Director General of the Southeast Asian Iron and Steel Association. Uh, we've got Chris, uh, who's with us today, who's going to talk about developments in the UK steel industry. And we've got uh, James Moss from... First River uh, consult, uh, consultants are going to talk about steel making innovation in North America. So I think that's going to be an outstanding program. Um, we've still got we've still got a speaker to find to talk about Europe, but I'm sure we'll fill that slot as well. Yeah, I, I agree with Bob. We've got some really exciting, high-profile speakers, um, but also you know there is there, there is this conference has been a great opportunity to bring forward some people who might be new to the industry as well. So, you know, there, there are obviously lots of speakers from steel companies, from supply chain companies new to the industry. But I've been pulling together the session around Industry 4 or new digital technologies. And there are speakers and companies represented there that are new to the industry that people won't have heard of before and will want to hear from. Because these are companies such as Foresight Data Machines, for instance, who are developing uh, new, uh, new algorithms and new technologies that are applicable um, across a range of industries and will provide some fantastic benefits for steel in terms of process control and productivity improvement. So I think partly this conference will be about an opportunity to hear from some of the big names in the industry, but also a journey of discovery to find new really important people and companies and technologies to find out about as well. Okay, interesting guys. So as we approach the September conference, you know, what do you both see are the sort of main issues surrounding the whole sort of um, area of electric steel making at the moment? Where are the, where are the core topics that are being discussed, the sort of ideas, thoughts? You know, where, where do you see it going? Well, I think one of the key issues is going to be the decarbonisation of the steel industry and what role the electric art furnace is going to play in that. And, and a lot of people see it as a major role, 
in terms of decarbonising the steel industry. And we've got some excellent papers associated with that particular topic. And add to that the fact that we all, we all talk about the circular economy. We've got some really good papers uh, in the environmental and society section. So we're covering some of the hot topics, decarbonisation, the role of the electric art furnace, recycling of materials, as well as the normal topics you'd expect at an electric art furnace conference, uh, such as um, the metallurgy steel making and refractories, etc. Chris, do you want to come in there? Yeah, I think Bob's absolutely correct to point out that the you know this decarbonisation challenge is the big challenge for the sector, and I, I, it's my view that we're we are on the cusp of the biggest ever global investment in electric arc furnace technology in Europe and beyond. And, and this, is, this is partly because of the ongoing growth of the sector, but it's primarily about the transition from integrated blast furnace plants to electric arc furnace plants that we will most certainly see in the coming decades. Um, companies in Europe are already planning to do this from 2025 onwards, and so that period 2025 to 2045 is going to see a big expansion. And um, and as Bob's you know, hinted, we want to understand what the role of the electric arc furnace is in that, but there are also challenges for the electric arc furnace as well. How will we fully decarbonise the electric arc furnace? How will we create a circular economy? And what is the impact of digitisation as well? And then if you bring all of those things together, what impact does that have on jobs and, and on society? So we're, we're trying to tackle some pretty big issues in, in this conference, and it's a first opportunity for... Um, for expert industrialists in the sector to, to really get together and start to, to get to grips with them. But we, we think that this will be the kind of launch of a conversation that's going to run over the next 20 years, really setting the agenda for the future of the electric arc furnace. How do you see some of these issues linking to sort of the, you know, the broader steel industry outside of just you know, electric steel making as such? I guess there's some crossover. So there, are there any key messages that you want to come out that will make you know, the broader steel makers, the broader policy makers, including, you know, in the run up to COP26, sort of stand up and, and look, are the broader steel industry issues that, you know, you, you need and want to raise? Well, yeah, yeah, David. So I think, you know, in the past, previous iterations of the Electric Arc Furnace Conference would have been interest to those people operating electric arc furnaces. But now this is no longer the case because everybody is ultimately going to become an electric arc furnace producer in due course. People operating blast furnaces realise that these technologies need to be shifted across the course of the next two decades. Um, and so the issues that, you know, when, we, when, when we've talked about issues that we see are relevant for electric arc furnaces, actually, they're issues that are relevant across the whole steel industry. Um, and the whole steel industry is now looking to this electric arc furnace technology, along with carbon capture and storage, along with hydrogen, to be the, uh, to be the solution for zero carbon steel making in the future. And yes, we, you know, all eyes are on COP, COP26 in Glasgow in the UK this year. Um, the UK steel industry is developing a roadmap to decarbonisation in advance of that. I know other nations are doing the same. And we expect that a lot of the challenges that we're talking about in September in Sheffield will be challenges that are at the top of people's agenda for COP. I think Chris has raised a very good point there about the challenges. I mean, what we want to do is at the conference is to present what those challenges are. Because it's not as simple as saying, well, we want to switch off blast furnaces and switch on art furnaces and, and everything will be rosy and we'll have reduced the carbon footprint by an amazing amount. It's not that simple. Uh, and if, we, if we're going to make sure that we've, we identify those challenges and face up to how we're going to uh, address them, 
then uh, it's going to be very difficult. So um, that's one of the things I'm hoping the conference is going to do. It's going to raise the debate about that transition. What do you think, do you see as, you know, what I've termed sort of the, the, the main sort of pinch points? So are, are the pinch points going to be related to technical quality considerations? Is it going to be linked to the infrastructure that provides the power to allow the AF to, to, ex, to extend and such like? Or are there issues regarding people, skills, the, the tunnel of people coming through from with an interest in, in working in this field? Where do you see those pinch points being? Well, I think you've covered just about all of them because they're all involved in this transition. And I think the, the thing that worries people most that are producing steel via the blast furnace route is going to be the residual level that they currently see on steels being produced in the electric art furnace. None of these, that is not an insurmountable problem. But at the same time, we've got to make sure that we find economical solutions to it. And in terms of um, power supply, well, we've got this big revolution going on with automotive and, uh, and going go to electrically driven vehicles and uh, making sure there's enough electricity for, for those. So I think there's a big issue for the government in terms of power generation, both how much capacity is available and also how clean is it going to be. I think I think that there there are some of the some of the key issues that I see it. I think it's it's easy to say yeah you can make steel in an electric arc furnace same as you can make in a blast furnace BOS route, but it's not always the same steel. So we've got to, we've got to look at the product the challenges that the products give us, the challenges that the power supplies are going to give us, and uh, and we've also I think in terms of people, I think in every Old in, older mature industry like ours, then training's got to be the cornerstone of what we do when we make these changes. Yeah, I think um, I think when we think about challenges in the electric arc furnace as well, it, it's easy for people to make sort of grandiose statements and presume it's going to solve all problems. So, for instance, in the UK, we talk about the fact that the UK generates 10 million tonnes of scrap steel every year, which which in theory could be enough to meet our needs. But only a million tons of that is is what we term low residual steel. So the the um, the, uh, the the sort of scrap steel that uh, that we can use for the most high quality steel products. And so it isn't you know it isn't simply a case of installing electric arc furnaces and 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 using up this scrap steel. We need to look at other raw materials that we would need to include in the furnace as well. And then you know when you talk about infrastructure, it come, you know energy isn't just about the amount of electricity that's delivered, but how you deliver it, the, uh, the energy network, as much as the generation capacity as well. And I think on skills, I actually think that there is the steel industry potentially can help the rest of the economy here. So as we install new, uh, new technology, new equipment, as we digitize at the same time that we go green, there will be an increase in productivity in steel plants. And we can see this when we look at the most productive steel plants in the world, which are five times more productive than, than your average integrated steel plant. We can see that actually in many places throughout Europe, throughout the world, there will be steel workers who, as a result of productivity, find themselves without a job. Um, but these are very, very highly skilled people um, who could easily transfer across to some of the industries of the green industrial revolution, such as electric vehicles, offshore wind, hydrogen production. Um, and so actually, I think the skills issue is far more complex than what are the needs of the steel industry for the future. 
It's about what are the needs of the whole economy and how can people who are you know, highly skilled and used to working in the steel industry help support the growth of these new industries that we all need and we'll all rely on to decarbonise. Thank you. How do you see the whole issue alongside hydrogen and where does the use of hydrogen and the sort of, you know, this much vaunted hydrogen economy fit in? How does that sit alongside electric steel making and, and the future for the steel industry, do you think? Uh, <laughs> all right. So, um, yeah, so hydrogen is it, it has a very important role to play in the steel industry of the future. So if we think about raw materials uh, for the steel industry, the, the steel industry grows at about 3% a year, so we, we definitely need more new steel produced from iron ore. Uh, we can't use iron ore in its raw form in the electric arc furnace. Traditionally, we would have used a coal-based process in the blast furnace to, to smelt or refine that iron ore, and, that, and we can't do that in the future either because of carbon emissions. Uh, and that's where hydrogen presents us with the possibility to refine iron ore uh, and prepare it for introduction into the electric arc furnace. So we have a process that we call direct reduced iron making, which currently uses natural gas. Um, it's a process that works well in the Middle East and other places where there are sources of natural gas. And there's a lot of research happening around the world to switch that process from natural gas to hydrogen. And in fact, HBIS, the world's third largest producer uh, in the world, are expecting to um, have the first commercially operating hydrogen furnace this year, later this year in 2021. And um, so that's, that's one important role for hydrogen, but also downstream in the process for supplementary heating, uh, for, for heating of, of, of ladles and other refractory lined uh, components in the steel plant, for, for furnaces, for reheating furnaces and so on. We use a lot of gas, um, and, uh, and again, we can replace uh, hydrogen with gas in those instances. And actually, this is a big topic of research, my own institute for the Materials Processing Institute, where we're developing new technologies, both around heating and around the um, hydrogen reduction of iron. I think one of the things we've got to remember as well, we've got, we've got to look at how the hydrogen is generated. And so when we do, when we do make these changes in, the, in terms of decarbonising, we've got to make sure that the route that we use these new processes using hydrogen is also a very green route as well. And, and that's going to rely, yet again, going back to having uh, sustainable green energy production, whether it be wind, solar or nuclear, and having sufficient capacity. If you, if you look at the, the broad area of electric steel making at the moment, what have you seen coming through by way of sort of recent technical developments that you've thought, ah, this could be a game changer? And what isn't so much so in terms of, have you seen anything that you've thought in recent times, this is going to be an absolutely key part, uh, a new technology, a new idea? Is there anything that's really exciting you at the moment that you think, yes, this could be a, this could be a game changer? I think for me, it's near net shape casting. The nearer we can get to the finished uh, product uh, from liquid to solid, then that, that, that offers a very, very good way of uh, reducing energy and uh, reducing cost. And we've already seen that in some new plants in America, like, uh, I think it's Big, is it Big River, Chris? Big River Steel in Arkansas. Big River Steel, yeah. example of that, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's that kind of innovation uh, that really excites me. And I think, you know, in the UK and in Europe, we've got to start looking at those kind of uh, processes that eliminate a lot of the reheating uh, stages when we're going from, say, an ingot or a slab through to, through to, for example, strip. It's now possible to cast strip 
direct and have a, an extremely good product as the Americans are showing us now. So I think, I think that's important. And just going back to the conference, we've got James Moss from First River, who's a consultant in that area. And I think he'll give us a, a very good insight into that as well. So um, that's what excites me. What doesn't excite me is uh, people thinking we can just pour scrap into art furnaces and get out what we want. I think there's a lot more work needs to be done on improving scrap quality. And we're not seeing that happen at the moment. I, uh, I think that scrap is quite a neglected area of research and uh, innovation, actually. And, and, and there's a lot we can be doing on mechanical separation and, and analysis and so on. Um, and I, and I, also, uh, I also agree that the process root compression is an incredibly exciting area and, and, and that would be a massive revolution in steel production. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm looking forward to in the conference, given that I put the Industry 4 section together, is, is really finding out about some of these applications for digital technologies in other sectors and how we could use them in steel. Um, so the steel industry has this huge wealth of data uh, that we produce and we also have uh, processes that we control really well uh, you know we control them to pharmaceutical levels of precision but we, we we do that with very unstable raw materials and so it's one of the most challenging industrial areas uh, possible for process control and it, it'll be really good to see how some of these um, new technologies you know relying on uh, artificial intelligence and so on that have been deployed elsewhere how we can how we can bring them into the steel industry as well so, yeah, this is just this explosion of new technology at the moment. And, and I think big scope for application in the in the steel sector. Is there a role there, Chris? I mean, I'm interested in sort of Industry 4.0 and we see people talking about materials 4.0 and things as well as a game changer. Is there in the, you know both your opinions, what role can IOM3 play in this in terms of the networks? You know, I'm thinking of the, the Iron and Steel Group, but sort of sharing knowledge and net and sort of networks across that how do you see that role panning out well this look this knowledge transfer bit has probably never been as important uh you know since the 19th century really um, and and i think a really crucial role that iom3 can play is through the 50 or so iom3 local societies now a lot of those local societies were set up you know about 100 and odd years ago at a time of massive technological change to enable people in industry to be up to speed with the latest advances in technology um, and and that was you know in the midst of an industrial revolution and if you look at papers from the time you know you can see this like explosion of patents and new technologies and and that is exactly where we are now as well so anybody who's worked in industry for for more than you know 6 to 12 months is, is instantly out of date with the latest uh, technologies in the Industry 4 area. And so we all have to constantly refresh ourselves with, with the latest, uh, the, the latest uh, knowledge. And you know, the, the biggest injection of new knowledge that comes into my business is when I'm recruiting people directly from university. So I think um, through the local societies, that's the big opportunity for IOM3 to help people in industry to keep completely up to speed with these technologies and to be able to apply them in their own sector. I'd just like to say as well, in terms of the Institute of Materials, the Iron and Steel Group have already held the um, uh, Steel Strategy Seminar on Industry 4.0, and, and, and they're going to continue to, to look at that topic. So I think it's important that Iron and Steel Group do take part in this debate and have already started to do so. So I would encourage Iron and Steel Group to continue down that path. 
Uh, Bob and I are both members of the board of the Iron and Steel Group, and uh, actually, Bob, uh, Bob, the, Bob's right to mention the Steel Strategy Seminars. They, they were an initiative that Bob himself thought of a few years ago, and they've been hugely successful. They've been hugely successful in driving forward some of these uh, really important areas for the sector. Going back to the September conference in Sheffield, what do you, in your mind, see as you know your desire? What what do you want delegates to take away with them? What's your what you know what would really be? Oh, this has been a success. How do you see that, and what do you think? Well, I think I judge the success on the panel discussions that we have after each session. To my mind, a good conference is where you get a lot of interaction between delegates and presenters. And, and that's, that's been the core of how we design, design this conference. And then the, you know, the events outside of the conference where people can get together socially and then start discussing what they've seen and networking. So I think their interaction with the conference and presenters itself their interaction between each other outside of the conference and networking and making contacts that they can uh, call on after the conference. And if they get something like that, I think I'll be very happy. Any views, Chris? I, uh, I, I agree with Bob that a massive success of the conference will be ultimately people's ability to sort of make these contacts and network and so on. And that's why, again, the hybrid nature of the conference is really important to us because uh, it means that we can have some of that interaction directly in the room um, as well as through the online platform. Um, I also expect that for the, the conference attendees, um, the conference itself as well be, it will, will be a, 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 a big motivator in being prepared to tackle some of these challenges as well in realising that there's a wider network of people in the industry who are also dealing with these challenges and that there are some solutions out there too. Um, so I expect that after the conference, there'll be a big surge of activity, uh, interest, new ideas, um, and of course, those strong networks will have been formed. So do you think that as a result of the challenges that we've all faced with um, you know, the COVID pandemic and such like, that being able to offer this as a what we've called blended, you know, a hybrid event, is a model that we're likely to see more and more going forward in terms of being able to include people who perhaps historically would, would not have travelled to Sheffield, for example? I think it's a good question, that, and I'm not too sure what the answer is. I mean, when we get back to where we used to be, I suppose you call it the old normal, uh, will we just revert back to conventional conferences? I doubt very much. I think, I think it'll be horses for courses. There'll be some conferences that lend themselves very much to uh, a virtual platform. There'll be some that are far better as face-to-face -face conferences in venues. And I think those conferences tend to be the one, ones like we are planning at the moment because uh, certainly sponsors and exhibitors want, want that face-to-face uh, -face interaction with potential clients. And, and you've got to remember that sponsors are a, a key, play a key role in conferences. So I think we'll have both going forward. I'm not sure, I'm not sure whether the hybrid format Will, will survive. I mean, I think what the pandemic has taught us really is that there are different ways to do things. Um, so, you know, we were, we, uh, Bob and I have organised many conferences and events in the past, and I think we're always very focused about what happens in the room. Um, and during the pandemic now, we've all attended virtual conferences and, and, and here is a, is a hybrid conference that we'll be attending as well. And I think what it means in the future is when we're planning an event, we'll know that we have these various formats available and we can select what we think will be the most appropriate format um, for the event that we have. So 
Uh, I can imagine that we, you know, we, we might have some face-to-face -face only conferences, some hybrids, some virtual conferences, or we might do also what we've done with this conference because unfortunately it had to be delayed for a year. Uh, we ran a series of four webinars um, over the course of the last year that have given some insights, some tasters uh, as to what would, would, would appear at the conference, presented some new original thinking, helped to create a community of people around the conference as well who are looking forward and anticipating the conference itself. And so, you know, these are all new things that we can do and podcasts just like this as well, all new things we can do that we haven't thought of previously. Um, and it gives us more choices and more options for the future. Okay, I think um, we're sort of almost reaching a logical sort of end there. Are there any final thoughts, anything particularly that either of you have in terms of, you know, from your own involvement or technically or otherwise that you just like to say as me, almost as a like a sign off yeah there's one thing i'd like just like to raise and that is that uh, uh, one of the features we've incorporated into the conference is a workshop and that's going to be hosted by sustain which is a research network which aims to transform the uk steel sector there the title of this uh, workshop is going to be about how to achieve net zero in other words how to achieve net zero carbon in in the steel industry it's going to be interactive it's going to be it's going to people that attend the workshop that will, will, they will be guided to produce their own ideas on how we can achieve net zero. And I think that kind of feature will provide a lot of benefit because at least people will be putting in their own ideas. So that that's uh, for me uh, is going to be a um, a real plus for this conference. Anything you want to add, Chris? Or are we? I, no, I think uh, I think actually a great place to end is the is the point of, uh, about the uh, uh, the uh, sustained workshop that, that Bob's mentioned. I think that would be a, a super place to to end the podcast. Actually, okay. Well, it just uh, leaves it with me to thank Bob Riddleston and, and Chris McDonald for your, for your time and contributions this morning. An interesting debate. Um, just to say thank you for for listening. We hope to see as many people as possible at the conference in Sheffield in September. Have a look at www.iom3.org for events. And we hope that uh, we wish you a safe and prosperous conference. Thanks. Thanks very much, Bob, Chris, for your time. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, David. Thank you very much. For more information about us, visit iom3.org or to keep up to date with our latest news, follow us on social media using at iom3 on Twitter and at the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining on LinkedIn. If you're interested in our upcoming podcasts or want to get involved, please subscribe to hear more from us through Apple, Google Podcasts or Spotify.